Welcome to the Primitive Initiative Podcast. Today, I have Thaddeus Owen from Primal Hacker as my guest. We talk about EMF mitigation, light hygiene, technocrats, hormones, orgone energy, geopathic stress, and more. Enjoy the show. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I just want to remind people that they're listening to the Primitive Initiative podcast. And I have Thaddeus Owen with me uh, from Primal Hacker. Can you give me your uh, website again where people can find your blogs? Primalhacker.com. Okay, awesome. So basically, I have like a loose list of questions for you. And I just kind of want you to, you know, take the wheel and speak about it however much you want. It's not like we have to get through all of it. We, we're interested in a lot of the same things. You know, I, I come from a history of um, being very obese and sick when I was a child. So I started reading like labels and stuff from a really early age. And then once I lost weight and stuff like that, I was still sick. So I was wondering like, okay, like I did my calories and everything, but what am I, st- why am I still sick? You know? And then that's where like food quality and environment and light and EMF and that started. I was so open to that stuff because I realized how much that actually makes a difference. And from there, I just kind of went deeper and deeper into it because while we're surrounded by disease, um, how can you ignore it? (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that's kind of where I come from. So if you don't mind giving kind of a synopsis of yourself, like how you got into health, how you got into all of this, and then we can go from there. Okay. Yeah. No worries. I'm Thaddeus Owen. I co-founded a company called Primal Hacker, and you can find us at primalhacker.com. And I did that to share all the accumulated, what I call primal hacking, kind of a take on biohacking knowledge with everyone else. So I did a deep dive into my own, you know, life. So I had a major issue that I wanted to solve for myself, which is how most people get started. I had just crippling social anxiety. I, I had anxiety all the time, no matter where I was, and it affected my career and my life massively. And my entire goal was to solve that. And I started going down this path after I explored, you know, prescription medications and everything else. I explored this path called biohacking and biohacking teaches all about how to optimize the environment that's around you, your home office, your work office, your bedroom, and the environment inside of you, whether it's from an emotional standpoint or the fuel and the information that you're putting into your body, using that information, I was able to solve and cure my own anxiety and optimize and upgrade my health and fitness at the exact same time. And everything that I learned through that process, which was about a 10 to 12 year process for me to get through all of that and learn everything, I've been now sharing with others because it made such a huge difference and importance to my life. I want other people to know about how I did that and what might work for them. Uh, you know, I agree that it's usually such a holistic approach. You know, you usually have to attack it from multiple angles. But would you say there was something specific or close to your heart that worked, um, like that you could quantify regularly that you're like, okay, this works a lot? There were two things that worked. And so I'm a like engineer scientist by training. So my background is chemical engineering. I worked in pharmaceutical companies for 10 years developing pharmaceutical drugs. Uh, and when I couldn't stand doing that anymore, I <laughs> left and got into all this stuff. So I kind of got this analytical mind and 
and I gave a TED talk. So if you, if anyone is curious, you can look up TEDx and in my name, and oh, you'll see awesome. my TED talk. And I, I gave that on the thing. There's two things that I'm going to tell you that worked absolutely so great for me. I know that they work for other people, and a lot of things that people try, like I'll take this supplement, I'll use this. I don't know if it makes a difference. Like, is it working? Is it not working? Mm -hmm. These things are definitive. Like I knew that they were working. So number one is what nobody wants to do, but it makes the biggest difference, which is inner emotional work. And it's something nobody wants to talk about. I never wanted to talk about, but part of my sleeplessness, my insomnia, my anxiety really is threefold. Like for anyone, it's, it's emotional disturbances, it's physical disturbances and it's light disturbances. And if you can solve those things, you know, you can get through just about anything. So the inner emotional work was number one, that I had to work on that. And number two, most noticeable thing that I did that I will never stop doing because it made such a huge difference is wearing blue light blocking glasses after sunset, basically blocking this frequency of light that hits my eyes after the sun goes down has physiological benefit to the body. So there's thousands of studies that have been done showing that when you're exposed to light after sunset, it's associated with heart disease, insomnia, diabetes, cancer, and obesity, all these things, just from seeing light after night, almost nobody knows about this. And literally wearing like a $2 pair of sunglasses solved that insomnia and anxiety problem. Once I was getting good sleep, once I was able to do that inner emotional work, that all went away. That's that's awesome. Yeah, I I love that you pinpoint those things because I had similar breakthroughs myself. I had, you know, weight issues, but then those weight issues kind of led into inner like personal confidence uh, issues. So I had to address those. And funny that you mentioned blue light, because when I was like on my older iPhone, I think maybe it was like, oh, I want to say like the four or something like that fourth generation. Uh, I had to unlock my iPhone and I would always download through the what was called the Cydia store. I don't know if you're familiar with unlocking iPhones, um, but you have access to basically like a whole new store. And there, those developers, those independent developers uh, produced a night mode way before any of these companies were doing it. And I couldn't use my phone even back in the fourth generation of iPhones without having that on. And so early on, I had no idea of the hormonal cascade or anything, but I, it just felt so right that when I got exposed to the information that you're talking about, I was like, this must be right because I can't stand looking at that super blue screen. I just need that warmth. So I, I agree with you. Yeah. And if you don't know what we're talking about, I mean, you're like, oh, my phone's fine. I look at it all the time at night. Just <laughs> try using one of these blue light blocking apps or the software that's built into your device. Both Apple and Android now have them built in if you go to brightness settings. And I'll tell you what, like use that for a three days and then take it off and look at your phone at night. And it is so overwhelmingly bright. That bright light that's built into the LEDs in your phone and your laptop and your tablets and your television and your lighting overhead is mostly the blue frequency of light. It makes like a white, bright blue light. Um, it might not look blue to your eyes, but the receptors in your eyes are what are capturing that blue and causing true physiological hormonal changes in your body. And just do it for a week and then take it off and I guarantee you're going to be shocked by how bright that screen is and, and what you've been experiencing. And, and I want people to know like you could be overweight because of light. Like 
everybody focuses on food and movement, which is awesome. You have to do food and movement and you have to get it right for you. It may not be what you have always been told. You do have to get food and movement right. But in my world, light is way more important than either one of those things. And I would suggest getting your light environment right well before you start addressing, you know, diet and movement as a bigger overall win. And it's probably the thing that's not talked about nearly as much in kind of the weight loss or the health and performance community. Yeah, I agree. Like uh, at first I had some cognitive dissonance with this because like, you know, in pharmaceuticals, they'll be like, oh, this is the active ingredient, but these are inactive ingredients. To me, I thought light was kind of like that. Like when I was like, when I got exposed to red light, I was like, what do you mean red light? Like how can a color light do something? Right. Um, But then, you know, when you look at the science, it's even recognized in the mainstream that light has roles in manipulating your hormones. Right. So it's not too far fetched that other colors could do other things. This is, we're at the infancy of this, and yet at the base of everything, look at every physics research professor book, everything is energy. Energy is pure wavelength and frequency. That's all light. So at the base of all human biology, everything is light. How can we not think that light affects us? And it actually has a way, way bigger effect than most people realize. Just point of fact, there was a study done literally last year, 2019. It was done on mice. And what they did is they took mice, two sets of mice, and they gave them the same exact amount of calories and gave them the same exercise. So they're eating the same calories in and exercising the same amount of calories out. The Mm -hmm. only difference, the only difference was they exposed one set of mice to blue light at night. And those mice that were exposed to the blue light at night got obese, where the other mice did not. The only change in their environment was the light. So that's a definitive study showing that light massively can impact hormones and make you fat. (laughs) Yeah, I I love that. I, I really want people to digest that because I think a lot of people get into blue light blocking because it's available on all of like the major, you know, tech right now. And maybe like gamers were into it a little before because they're staring at screens for so long and they're like, oh, you know, my eyes don't hurt anymore and stuff like that. But it's like, this goes so much deeper. It's not just like localized eye pain. <laughs> this is like a full body effect, right? It's a it's a physiological and a hormonal effect. So you think, you know, hormones are what signal your body to put on weight, to increase cortisol, to, to wake you up or give you insomnia, to increase melatonin, another hormone, that helps you go to sleep is the master anti-cancer hormone in your entire body. It cleans up some of those damaged cells while you sleep. All those things are actually programmed via the light that enters our eye. And when you start Mm -hmm. messing with that light outside of nature, so nature provides light, provides blue light. Blue light's great. It's good for you during the day when it comes from the sun because it's mitigated. The antidote to blue is red and infrared. The sun has 42 to 60% red and infrared coming out of it all the time. And after sunset, human beings and animals never saw blue light enter their eye after sunset. It just was not possible until we went and made this man-made lighting technology. So our bodies were physiologically designed to read different frequencies, different colors of light and make adjustments within our body. And so when we see blue light, our body thinks it must be daytime. We have to produce the right hormones for us to be awake, alert. And when they don't see blue light for an hour, it must be nighttime. It starts to shut our body down, rejuvenate, repair. 
and get us ready for the next day. So as you start messing with that by using these man-made devices at the wrong times of day, you absolutely have a full system, a full body effect uh, that lasts for your entire life until you start making some of these changes. And I guarantee for most people, you know, literally try the experiment just by using the free app on your phone to change the light after sunset, see how you feel, and maybe go out and buy a pair of blue light blocking glasses. You don't have to change anything else. You just wear them after sunset. They literally cost $2 on Amazon. They don't look great for $2, but you can get them for two bucks just to try it out and tell yourself whether it works for you. Every person that has done that experiment that I have ever talked to has noticed a difference. Yeah. Are you talking about like the Uvex glasses? I think those were the first ones I got and I fell asleep on my couch watching a movie. <laughs> they So the Uvex kind of look like safety glasses. Those are like $13. They actually make a pair similar to those. They're not mm -hmm. called Uvex, but you can buy 13 of them for $13. Nice. So maybe they're a dollar a piece. I mean, they're so inexpensive. And yes, that, that happened to me as well. So uh, my wife put them on for the first time. And it was like 7.30, you know, in, in winter here in, in Minnesota, it yeah. gets dark at 4.30, right? So she put them on and by 7.30, she was falling asleep and was, it was asking me, you know, what is wrong with me? I'm so tired. And it, I'm trying to explain, well, that's natural. The sun goes down. We wouldn't have had light besides firelight. Firelight is expensive to maintain and light up an entire like village at night with. So your body would have started to get ready for bed shortly after sunset. And that's what the glasses do is they signal to your body that it is dark. It is time to get ready for bed. So if you do want to stay up late, you know, sometimes it's hard to do with those glasses because <laughs> uh, they really do make a difference. They signal to your body that it's dark by just blocking that blue wavelength of light. And then your body's able to produce melatonin, which is available during the dark. It cleans up damaged cells. It is associated with cleaning up cancerous cells in a number of studies. And if you are exposing your eyes to light without those glasses at night, you can destroy the entire night's melatonin, which means you can get a full eight hour sleep, but you're not getting the rejuvenating, the cellular cleanup benefit of that sleep if you're destroying your melatonin every night. Right. And I, I agree with that completely. And I remember when I first started to use blue light glasses, uh, blue light blocking glasses, not just doing the screen uh, filter uh, on my tech. And I felt like I'd been drugged because I don't think I ever consciously realized how potent melatonin can be. I think a lot of people think that they're producing melatonin, but when you actually produce the full amount that your body wants to make, you kind of resemble a child. Like when a child is sleepy, uh, look at them. They look like they're drugged, like they're just done for. <laughs> you just go out. It, it's ex exactly. And, and think about when you go camping, when you're using, you know, natural firelight and you're out in the outdoors and it starts to get dark and it's like 930 and you're thinking, why am I so tired? Usually I'm up till 11 or 12. Most people camping are going to bed shortly after sunset. And in fact, they take people with severe insomnia that have been on all sorts of medications. They did this study twice in Europe where they took these people, got them off the medications, brought them camping, I think for four or five days. And by day three, Every one of them was sleeping soundly, had no insomnia because they were in sync with these natural rhythms of the earth. You're naturally supposed to produce that melatonin. It helps to get you sleepy. It helps you sleep through the whole night. But what it's doing is repairing and rejuvenating you during your sleep. And that's often why I would wake up after eight hours of sleep 
and I would feel like I was, I still needed another eight hours of sleep. I, I was so tired and I'm thinking to myself, you know, I've slept for eight hours. Shouldn't that be enough? And what was I doing right before I went to bed? I was like reading on my iPad or I was surfing the internet or watching a movie and just destroying my melatonin and therefore not getting that sleep benefit. Yeah, totally. I, I think it's the blue light, obviously. And then also the stimulation, like the, I think just winding down altogether, lights, intensity of light, intensity of what you're doing. Like I can tell a marked difference, even if I am watching something before bed, as opposed to if I'm playing video games before bed. Mind you, I still have my blue blocking glasses on, all the biohacks that I can do. But still, because video games are more involved and uh, get your brain working more, I find myself having a harder time sleeping after video games than even just watching a movie. Yeah, that's that's typical for most people. And you think about even, you know, Tim Ferriss, if people know who he is, he does the same thing before bed. He winds down and he will read a fiction book because even if he winds down with a book, if it's a nonfiction book, his brain starts to gear up and it has all these <laughs> ideas and thoughts. And it's he wants the fiction where it's like someone else tell him the story and tell them how it's going to go and you can kind of shut your brain off and and I agree with that I cannot play video games before bed I can't watch super intense movies before bed some people can you know it's great and if you're wearing blue light blocking glasses I think it's fine for me that's too stimulating and I prefer you know I I have an entire routine and you can go as deep as you want you know there's there's light there's temperature there's stimulation that and and there's when you last ate that can all impact your sleep and so I tend to really focus on getting all of those things right because I highly value my sleep. Yeah, I, th I think sleep is one of those things that if somebody could just dial that in, uh, if diet's too hard, if exercise is too hard, just dialing proper like light hygiene and then in return sleep, um, I think that could make a huge difference in their willpower and blood sugar regulation. I mean, so many things, the hormonal cascade that we're talking about. Um, a previous guest, uh, Dr. Ray Pete, I don't know if you know him, he talked about red light and its ability to not only oppose blue light, uh, or at least, you know, give it to you in proper amounts in sunlight, but also its ability to assist in preventing the damage from both ionizing and non-ionizing radiation. You know, one would be UV from the sun, but then also there's all the non-ionizing radiation, like all the Wi-Fi and stuff surrounding us, which I thought was really interesting. Do you, do you know about that aspect of red light too? Yeah, I know a little bit about it. So that's awesome. You had Ray Pete. I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he's got some just phenomenal information. And the what we're talking about is, you know, ionizing radiation, which basically the definition is like it can cause DNA damage, direct DNA damage by by popping a, an electron out of a, a electron cloud. And then that electron does damage, creates oxygen species. We know that through x-rays, you know, x-rays are mm -hmm. damaging directly. Well, non-ionizing radiation, it was thought like it can only hurt you if it heats you up like a microwave. So microwave radiation is all around us from our cell phones, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. That is going through our body 24 seven. Most people have their Wi-Fi router in their bedroom. Uh, if you do, please get it out of there. Uh, <laughs> and it was thought like, unless that's heating up your tissue, it's doing no damage. But non-ionizing radiation, in fact, if you read the NASA paper that was written in the early 2000s, they say there's no difference between ionizing and non-ionizing radiation in, in the fact that they both cause severe damage to human tissue and human biology. So there is 
damage from non-ionizing radiation that that is way above and beyond what it just does by heating your cell. It causes direct damage to the cells, which can then cause DNA damage. And how do you mitigate that? It's thought that red and infrared light, so again, these other frequencies or wavelengths of light other than blue can be very healing because number one, most of our us are exposed to too much blue light during the day. If you sit in front of a window, you're getting natural light, but the window actually blocks 50% of the red and infrared coming through it and none of the blue. So just sitting in front of a window, you're getting more blue light than you would normally get if you were outside, not enough red and infrared. And then you're in front of screens all day and we don't just live an outdoor life you know, with our clothes off. Then we're exposed to this microwave radiation, which if, if you're ever confused on whether or not these wireless communication devices and frequencies are safe, don't look at the FCC, which is the US government made up of five people, the majority of which came directly from the cellular companies, and they were actually the attorneys of the cellular companies. You can look that up. Um, but look up the bioinitiative report, bioinitiative.org. There's 5,000, well, today there's over 5,000 peer-reviewed published scientific journal articles showing the harm from wireless radiation. So it can be harmful. Some people are more sensitive than others. And what the red and infrared light is doing for both blue light, too much blue light, but also from all this Wi-Fi we're around all day, is it's reducing inflammation. It's giving the cells more energy to protect themselves. And it's liberating nitric oxide from the mitochondrial respiratory chain. Nitric oxide decreases blood pressure, and it probably has some other benefits that are still being studied. But anytime you give the cell more energy, the cell is able to then repair itself with that extra energy. And so the, the disrepair we get from blue light, from Wi-Fi, from getting a workout in that day, whatever it is, from the stress, that red and infrared is one tool to help you start to repair some of that. Yeah, that's I love that summary because it's something that's easy for people to do, uh, yet they can gain some major benefits. So. I mean, you can even do that if you're bed bound, you could bathe in red light and just see how much of a difference that makes. I, I think it donates to the electron transport chain. So it's almost like eating, isn't it? Like you're gaining energy just from the light. So the, what light is able to do, and this is something that I would say nearly nobody knows. We think that in order to have energy, we have to eat food because when we eat food, we get energy. The food is converted to energy, usually in the form of what we call ATP in the electron transport chain of the mitochondria. So we are like, hey, every cell in your body has mitochondria, it produces energy. We get the energy from food. That's actually not true. So what happens to your food is it's broken down to an electron. Only the electron goes through the mitochondria to produce energy. It's not the food. It doesn't matter if you're eating carbs, protein, or fat. At the end of the day, each one of those macronutrients is converted to an electron or multiple electrons sent through the electron chain transport, and then energy is created. Well, here's the deal. You don't need to use electrons from food to make energy. Sunlight and red and infrared can actually make energy without the use of food up to, and there's one paper that showed, you can make up to two thirds of your energy in your body from sunlight, from light. And one of the mechanisms is infrared light specifically. The last part of the electron transport chain is the ATPase. It's a motor, it spins, and as it spins, it creates energy, molecules of ATP. The faster it spins, the more energy it makes. 
infrared light allows that motor to spin faster, which means it makes more energy with no food input. That means just bathing yourself in infrared light or being outdoors in the sunlight and exposing your skin gives your body more energy even without eating any food. Yeah, that's that's so crazy to consider. I, I, you know, sometimes experimentally, I feel a suppression of my appetite when I'm in areas that are uh, more tropical or closer to the equator. So maybe it can be summed up to that phenomena. That's that's so crazy. I mean, that that's the way I see it. I, I'm less hungry in the summer and I maintain the same body weight, the same you know workout regime. Sometimes I'm doing more work in the summer, but I can eat less. And I really do attribute that to gaining some of my energy from sunlight. Now, the other way to get free electrons, you know, if, if electrons are the energy currency of the body that convert to ATP or energy, you can also get free electrons by standing barefoot on the ground. It's called earthing or grounding. The ground is the largest source of electrons, negative charge. You can get rid of some of that inflammation in your body that you accumulated from Wi-Fi and cell phone radiation and Bluetooth. Uh, and blue light by standing barefoot on the ground, you dump that inflammatory charge and you absorb electrons through the balls of your feet, through the soles of your feet. And that electron, those are free electrons that can then be used for energy. So living on the beach sounds like a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, why do you feel so much better on the beach? You're grounding, you're near the water, you're in the sun, you're exposing more of your body to the sun, you're gaining all this energy, your, your cells have the energy then to detox and to repair themselves and to stay optimally healthy. And so to me, part of it is that you're more relaxed on vacation, but a huge part of it is when you're at the beach, like all the things that are as optimal as they could possibly get for your body. Yeah, that's that's great. So now that we've kind of touched upon the light and EMF, but I want to get a little deeper into EMF in a little bit. But uh, you have some content on people who work night shifts. And um, I think a lot of people uh, listening at least know someone who does that. So what would be your advice to um, people who do work night shifts? What, what, how could they mitigate that? I, I personally would say try to find a different job, but let's say they can't. That was going to be my first suggestion was <laughs> please look for another job because here's the deal. You're a human. I'm assuming you're not AI. So if you're human, that means your biology is diurnal. You live during the day and you sleep at night. Now, some people will claim that they're night owls or that they do fine on night shift. But ultimately, rats and mice are what we call nocturnal, like bats. They have a different biology that make them nocturnal humans don't have that biology. So I will never tell you that it's acceptable to live your life at night because your biology in no way is designed to do that. So if you can find another job or a way to work night shift half the year and day shift half the year, I mean, please try to figure that out because in 2017, the Nobel Prize in Medicine was given for a concept called circadian biology, circadian rhythm. Circadian rhythm of the human means that we biologically are synced to the light and dark cycles of the earth. That keeps us optimally healthy, and that's why they gave the Nobel Prize in Medicine to this group of researchers that showed how massive the circadian effect is on humans. When you start messing with that circadian rhythm, living at night and sleeping during the day, there are consequences. Can you mitigate some of those consequences? Yes. So we have a friend out in California, she's uh, an ER emergency room nurse. She works at night. She's a biohacker. And we learned a lot from her. She's been to a number of our retreats. 
and she's pretty healthy. So she had to do quite a lot of things to mitigate night shift. One is putting on blue light blocking glasses. So she will wear blue light blocking glasses indoors at night when she's at work. It makes her a little sleepier. Mm-hmm. So it's not great, but it does protect some of the melatonin. She will expose herself to sunrise. So what we normally tell people is when you see the sunrise, it syncs your circadian rhythm with the day, the light and the dark cycles and keeps you optimally healthy. Night shift workers might want to see the sunset. I see. So sunset has these optimal frequencies, so does sunrise, to sync yourself with the light and dark cycle. There's no ultraviolet light in there. There's some what I would say magical properties of sunrise and sunset. So number one is like, try to see the sunset at at any point, whether you're going into work before work or during work, wear blue light blocking glasses. If you're indoors, then before you see sun. So if you're driving home from your night shift, put on your blue light blocking glasses. If you haven't been wearing them, don't see the sun. Unfortunately, make your room completely black and go to sleep. And the first thing I want you to do when you wake up then is see the sun to tell your body that it's daytime to start basically reversing that circadian rhythm. What you're trying to do is reverse your circadian rhythm to see more light at night and to train your body that there's no light during the day. And if you don't completely black out your bedroom or wear an eye mask or something when you sleep, then your body is going to start producing cortisol and destroying melatonin. And that's going to stop the rejuvenation. And that's when people, you know, night shift, frankly, is a is a class B, 2B carcinogen. It's listed as a, car- a human carcinogen because we know how bad it is for the body. Yeah. Um, you've got to go to some extraordinary lengths to, and, and frankly, for carcinogens, they, it sometimes takes five years to show up. You might think you're doing fine and three, four years in the future, now you've got a problem and it suddenly comes on quickly. Try to mitigate it now. You kind of have to reverse the light and dark cycles and keep things black while you sleep. Try to expose yourself to the sun while you're awake, whether it's sunset, whether it's the middle of the day. Honestly, like the best things you can do, there's there's ways to fast and do meal timing, like have your biggest meal before you get into work or right when you get to work and try not to eat during that really middle of the night timing. You know, two, three, four in the morning, your body is not designed to be eating food then. And it it's causes more inflammation when you eat at those times and it causes more weight gain. There's tons of studies showing that people who consume food after dark gain far more weight than those that don't. And so you're really got a lot of things working against you. We do have an article on our blog kind of talking about how to mitigate night shift. And there's lots of other ideas out there, but you do have to do some things rather than just, you know, not worry about it until you have a problem. Do you think that if they had a break, and I know if you're a healthcare uh, person, you might, I don't know, they're their breaks can be a little weird, but would you recommend that they try to sleep or like meditate or something during that time? Now, here's the the thing is like, yes, I would not encourage them to sleep because some people mess up their sleep cycles when they, they start sleeping and they don't sleep for a long enough cycle that you might mm-hmm. sleep for 30 minutes and you really need a 90 minute sleep cycle we're learning. So what happens at night is there's a much higher magnetic field on earth and our bodies are intimately tuned to these electrical and magnetic signals 
This is a natural signal that the Earth produces a higher magnetic field during the night to rejuvenate our bodies. It produces a higher electric field during the day. So you would do well to take advantage of the magnetic field if you're not sleeping by meditating. So you're going to tune in to your body. You're going to slow things down and you're going to allow yourselves to be awake to that magnetic field and get some benefit from it. So if you can't get an hour, like a 90 minute, hour and a half long nap during that break, I would recommend a meditation where you can just slow yourself down and tune into that magnetic field in whatever way that makes sense for you. Because I do really think that if you miss the magnetic field advantage, that you're not sleeping or resting in some manner, that you're not going to get the benefit and that leads to some long-term harm. Okay, that's that's good to know. Sometimes I would be sleep deprived when I go to work and uh, I would try to take a short nap on my break. Sometimes I'd feel better, sometimes I'd feel worse. But I tried these um, like rejuvenation meditations sometimes where, you know, the guided person gets you to, you know, relax from your head to your toe. And that usually worked out really good. And I, I would feel rejuvenated without being groggy. Yeah, and I, I'm no expert on the science of meditation, but what I have heard from a number of different sources is a good 15 to 30 minute meditation. So as little as 15, you know, you can go longer than 30, but between 15 and 30 minutes can give you benefits of sleep more than if you try to go to sleep. And what happens when we sleep is that we go through different sleep stages and the most rejuvenating stage of sleep is called deep sleep. And you will never get a deep sleep. The moment you fall asleep, you go through a REM stage and a light sleep and then deep. And if you're taking a nap, you might never get to the deep part of the sleep. However, if you're meditating, you may be able to get your body into the same state as the deep sleep that you wouldn't get from a nap potentially. So I really do think that there may be benefit of a meditation equivalent to some deep sleep that you're missing out on when you sleep during the day. And that would be my recommendation. Again, I'm not an expert on the science of all of that, but that's based on everything I know. That's my strong opinion. Okay, cool. Th that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I, I, I kind of want to just let people realize something that I, some, almost like an epiphany that hit me and uh, let me know after I'm going to say what I'm going to say, if you agree or if you have different thoughts, but ultimately EMF, um, these light disturbances and everything, it, it kind of all comes down to stress on the body. So I kind of look at it like the stress burden, like try to gauge your stress burden. What do you know that you're doing that stresses you out? Is it like bad lifestyle habits? Like, are you smoking? And are you, are you in a toxic relationship? And like, let's say you're in a building, in an apartment building that you can't mitigate the EMF. I mean, you can to some extent, but you don't have the means to move. Then you could look at possibly mitigating the other stressors that you can control to at least lower the burden on the body if you can't do anything about the EMF or for some reason can't do anything about the blue light. Would you agree with that? Yes. And I'll add that there's a, a really good book called Going Somewhere. It's by Dr. Andrew Marino. He was one of the world's leading researchers on EMF mm -hmm. back in the 70s. He's from, he was at Syracuse University in New York. And he worked with Dr. Bob Ott. Um, and they created a ton of research and ultimately what they showed back in the 70s and they were using you know power line frequencies if i live under a high 
high mm -hmm. tensile power line is that an issue and, and what they were finding is emf effects have have numerous negative impacts on human biology but they could never narrow down like it's always this effect or it's always that effect what they found is a hundred percent of the time emf creates stress in the body and anytime the body is stressed that creates a disease state a state of mm -hmm. dis-ease when you're stressed you may be more prone to eye cancer you may be more prone to a heart attack it's the stress itself that then triggers these other things in your life to start showing themselves so a hundred percent your goal is to mitigate as much of the stress as you can now some stress is positive but in my mind the time to do it is is when you go to sleep so if you can pick one time of the day to mitigate all the stressors that you can rejuvenate your body it's while you sleep everyone knows they're going to sleep and if you can eliminate the stress and create like a what i call a primal healing environment while you sleep mm -hmm. that can reverse a lot of the things that happen during the day yeah that's awesome i agree that's that's why i really like to focus on sleep with people who are getting into health um and might not be willing to give in to some of the other interventions i'm like well hopefully you realize that sleep is important. So let's let's try to fix that. And then maybe it can mitigate some of the other stuff that you're either not willing to or not ready to mitigate yet. And the pathology of stress, I think Ray Pete has some of the best resources and articles on that personally, um, and how to try to eliminate that from whatever angle you can in your life. And um, I'm glad that we're talking about that overall stress burden, because I think sometimes people can get a little nitpicky and they get super stressed out if they can't like mitigate this one Wi-Fi router that's to the right of their home. <laughs> but it's like that might be causing more damage. Just worrying about it to that extent. Absolutely. The the whatever is the biggest stressor in your life is what you need to tackle first. So, you know, most people it's what exactly what you said, it's sleep and inner emotional issues like the inner emotional issue might be causing way more stress than your neighbor's wi-fi router <laughs> and you know you worrying about it is making it worse so i will say though like these emf signals are invisible and we're exposed to them all the time and you can mitigate them even in an apartment downtown in the city so i've got friends that live in you know downtown st paul and downtown minneapolis and i've been helping them mitigate what they can while they live down there. So it's it's even possible to to mitigate in an apartment where you're surrounded by other people's stuff. You can mitigate things in your bedroom and it's not terribly expensive. But worrying about that is the first thing to go after when you have bigger stressors in your life. You know, definitely the right approach is to tackle the things that are stressing you out or causing the most stress um, first. Okay, cool. So now that we've prefaced it, I want to know what your mitigations are. <laughs> <laughs> so number one is minimize the largest signal of of emf and emf is just electromagnetic frequencies we're talking about man-made there's natural electromagnetic frequencies you can look up things on the schumann resonance you can look up the earth's magnetic field you know we're tuned to those they're healthy but these man-made signals are invisible wavelengths or frequencies of energy and the body remember at its core is just energy all these energies interact with our body and we're not designed to interact or to protect ourselves against microwave radiation 
frankly, the Earth really hasn't had much microwave radiation until we started using it for communication technology. So it can be a big stressor because unlike sunlight, where your body can build a solar callus, it can get tan, it can create antioxidants to protect against the UV, we can't really protect against the microwave radiation. Our body's never built a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. So I recommend, number one, the, the largest source of man-made electromagnetic frequencies are those devices that you own, your cell phone and your AirPods and your Wi-Fi router. So number one, turn off your Wi-Fi router when you go to sleep. Most people are not going to need it while they sleep. So turn that off while you sleep. If you put your cell phone in your pocket, put it on airplane mode, or if you need your cell phone to be on, literally putting it in your purse or your backpack by keeping it two to three inches away from your body makes a huge difference in the amount of microwave radiation going through your body. Uh, There's a concept called the inverse square law, which just means for every inch you keep your cell phone away from your body, the radiation drops by a hundred times. So if you're just two inches away, you've dropped the radiation by 200 times by just keeping it two inches away. Mm -hmm. So keep your devices further away, use them less often when they're using cellular data and cellular technology and Wi-Fi and Bluetooth and turn your devices off at night. All your smart devices ought to be plugged into a power strip that can be turned off at night. Your smart TV, your tablets, they will give off microwave radiation when they're in the off mode unless you actually unplug them or put them on a power strip and turn the power strip off. (laughs) So you can you can absolutely mitigate most of the the man-made electromagnetic frequencies in your home just by turning those things off at night. Now, for your neighbor's Wi-Fi router, you're never going to get them to turn it off probably. And (laughs) it's still going to come into your room. And it it could be like on the wall next to your bed, and that's not what you want. Mm -hmm. So there's two ways that you can protect yourself. Number one, there's paint. You can even get it on Amazon. It's not inexpensive, but you can paint a wall or a bedroom with this EMF blocking paint so that it can't come through the wall. You know, a small bedroom would cost you maybe $400 to paint the whole bedroom. Uh, To paint one wall might cost you $50. So you could paint the wall that has the Wi-Fi router against it. That'll protect you quite a bit. Or you can buy what's called an EMF blocking canopy. So just like in the old days when people had these four poster beds and a canopy of of fabric around them, kind of gauzy, you can see through it. Mm-hmm. You can buy you can buy silver type canopy, and that's what I recommend to people in Minneapolis and St. Paul is spend five hundred to a thousand dollars. So again, it's not cheap. Buy some EMF material that'll go around your entire bed, and this is what I personally use myself. So I made a four poster frame. And I hung this EMF blocking material and I tested it with my EMF meters that I have to make sure nothing is getting through. Mm -hmm. And it will block electrical fields and microwave radiation fields from entering your sleeping space. Therefore, you now have more of a primal sleeping environment. It's probably the only time during the day you will ever be away from all that microwave radiation. You cannot get away from it otherwise. And you therefore have a full eight hours of sleep without that radiation anywhere around you. So if you're going to spend money, to me, to protect yourself against EMF, do it in the bedroom where you know you're going to be for a long period of time and you know you're going to provide yourself with optimal primal sleep away from all that. Your body can rejuvenate and repair itself during the night because it's not stressed by all that EMF coursing through your body. 
Yeah, nice. I, I'm so glad you said that. I, I agree. Like, you might have some different opinions on what I'm about to say, but uh, I, I have a lot of friends and family even who are trying to invest in the Blue Shield. And I'm not going to badmouth the product, but I think it's better money spent to get a um, Faraday cage or, uh, like you said, a canopy rather, um, and invest in that, uh, something that you can really quantify with like a meter, seeing that, you know, those fields are not entering that canopy, that safe zone that you've created for yourself. And then if you have extra money left over that you're willing to experiment with, then go into things like the Blue Shield that uh, is supposed to be releasing like Schumann frequencies and random uh, algorithms. Uh, so I, I don't know, what do you think about those type of devices as opposed to like a, a canopy that physically blocks? So I 100% agree with you. I on my YouTube channel I do have a review of the Blue Shield technology. Okay. I've got I've got Blue Shield. It's hooked up in my house and I use it. Um, what I will say is Blue Shield is a technology that their claim and it's impossible to measure or yeah. or quantify, but their claim is that they're they have a device you plug it in or they have a traveling device that uses a battery and you put it in your pocket and it it gives off what they call a scalar field, this invisible field of radiation that's beneficial to your body. And because it's close to you in your house or in your pocket, your body tunes into that scalar field instead of the damaging microwave radiation. Mm -hmm. So it's a legit claim that that's possible. Uh, the issue I have with it is twofold. One is there's no way to prove that it's actually working or doing what it says it does. And a friend of mine is the world's leading EMF building biologist. Uh, his name is Brian Hoyer. He goes all over the world. He tests people's homes and mitigates EMF, even for like Dr. Klinghart, Ben Greenfield, Dave Asprey, and all these guys. He's really mm. good. Dr. Mercola, he's done his home. Dr. Mercola wrote a book on electromagnetic frequency and how damaging they are. And Brian Hoyer was the number one consultant for that book. EMF. Right? Yep. Exactly. EMF. I love that book name. <laughs> That's the Dr. Mercola book. So Brian got a hold of one of the Blue Shield devices and sent it to an electrical engineer. And the electrical engineer opened it up and said, mm -hmm. honestly, all the technology inside here does is turn a light on and off, but it doesn't do anything else. Um, so I'm very skeptical of pendants <laughs> and stickers and devices because you in no way can measure whether they're working. So what I tell people is number one, spend your money on doing the things that we can measure that they're working, which is there's three things. The time you spend around the, the frequency, spend as little time as possible immersed in EMF. Number two is distance, get as far away from it as possible. It mitigates the damage significantly. And number three, stop, you know, block it, stop using it or block the frequency. We can measure in EMF canopy and whether it works. We can say this canopy blocks 50% of the microwave radiation coming into your bedroom. In in my case, it blocks 100%. I don't sell these, I'm just, this is the one I use. It blocks 100% of the EMF. I can show it on a meter that's measuring the damaging EMF. Do that first, spend your money on something that you 100% know is working. Then if you've got extra money and you want Blue Shield technology or a pendant or a sticker, go for it like a hundred percent use it but never rely on that as your first line of defense yeah 
Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I'm not against experimenting with anything. I think go for it, you know, as long as it's not like some radioactive thing. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but yeah, I think physically blocking it and being able to measure it is the first step. Um, if you don't mind me asking, is yours the one from lessemf.com? No. So I have three. And uh, the first one I bought from shieldedhealing.com. That's my friend Brian Hoyer. Okay. And he tests his, he has the best testing equipment in the world. He lab tests Dr. Mercola's EMF tents, products from all over the world. They send it to him to test. So I know his are legit and they're tested by a third party. Um, so I bought one from him and literally I, I sourced the other one direct from a manufacturer overseas. I got 10 samples. I tested them all with my meters. I found the one that was the best price for the largest amount of blocking power. And mm. I bought that for my kid's bedroom. So I invested for, when I went direct, I was able to, to get an EMF canopy for a king size bed. And I was able to get it for with shipping and tariff somewhere around five or six hundred dollars and when i bought it from shielded healing i think it was fourteen hundred dollars i don't know what they are unless emf but obviously going direct you can save money uh, but you want to make sure that whatever you're getting is going to block the new 5g frequencies as well okay that's that's really important okay i'll have to look into that i i found one um that i really liked because it was actually mercola with Brian, I think they had posted something um, that they were working on together, and it looked like a, a tent, um, a mesh tent um, that went, I don't know if that one did, but under your mattress and then over the mattress, obviously, so you have room to sleep. And I found one similar to that that has zippers, and it goes under your mattress, not under the bed, just under the mattress, and then forms a canopy over top. And I think that might lessen the opportunity for, uh, how can I say, setting it up wrong. Because you need to cover underneath your bed and over, correct? Correct, yeah, if you're on a second floor. So if you're in the basement or a, a main floor, you're not going to get microwave radiation from the ground. Uh, but if you're on a second floor bedroom or apartment or a condo, yes, uh, you have to protect or, or have a canopy material or some sort of blocking material both you know, in my case, under the bed or under the mattress and on all sides, including the top. So what you're saying, you know, Brian Hoyer was testing and working with Marcola on tents and they, these were made to be portable. So I've, I saw one back in February mm -hmm. um, was a sample of it and it was super slick. I mean, it, it had this material that popped up to make a tent. You could put it up in your hotel room and travel with it because hotels yeah. are notoriously awful for EMF. Um, but yes, surrounding yourself on all sides is, is really the key. Unless, like I said, if you're in a basement bedroom, you really just need it from the sides and the top. Okay. I'll, I'll try to find the link and send it to you so, so you can take a look at it. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. I haven't tested it or anything. It's just uh, something I've been looking at online. Because, um, uh, you know, I want to have one that's portable, like you said, because if you can med mitigate it for carrying around like a little lightweight tent, why not? Right? So... Um, let's see. We were talking about sleep. Uh, have you heard of biphasic sleep? Yes. So the concept of, you know, some people think humans are, do better or they used to throughout history sleep for some sort of sleep cycle. Let's say you go to bed for four hours, 
you wake up for two to three hours and do something and then sleep again, a second sleep, so mm-hmm. that in total you get, you know, seven, eight, ten hours of sleep, but you don't do it all at once. That is that the concept? Yeah. Yep. For sure. So I, I've heard of that. I know people that have tried it. And most people that I know, if they're awake for more than an hour, they over time struggle uh, with the biphasic sleep. Or if they try to break up the biphasic, some at night and some during the day, tend to over time deteriorate in, in health. Other people I know where they sleep, they wake up for about an hour, but they stay in bed, they meditate, they read, they write, and then go back to sleep, seem to actually do better than people that just sleep the whole night. So I don't know where I stand on the whole biphasic. Um, It seems like people that I've seen do the biphasic all at once rather than break it up over long periods of time seem to actually do really well. I don't know if you've had experience, you know, either yourself or with others. Yeah, that's that's kind of like a spiritual practice for me, and it was for certain other religions too. And so I was very interested to find that out kind of in the biohacking sphere. I didn't know what it was called. It was just something that I would do because it was suggested. And I always found a lot of benefit from it, and I found a lot of silence and um, closeness uh, like in my heart space during that time. That's why I would do it. So that's something I just wanted to ask you about just to see if, and it's funny that you say that people who do it all at once tend to do better because that's how I did it. Um, yeah, so. and I, I agree with you on, if for me, if I ever wake up, and for me it might happen maybe five times a month, but if I, if I wake up and am awake for a long period of time, that transition between like the sleeping state, but not fully awake, so you're not getting up and walking around, but staying in one place, for spiritual work or spiritual ascension work seems like the best thing and the best time to do it because you're kind of between both worlds, like the sleeping and waking world. Yeah. And to me, you still have this bridge to your subconscious. So programming spiritual things in or doing your meditations, there's this bridge between the conscious and and subconscious that you probably wouldn't get in a full waking state. Uh, So I would 100% agree, like your way of using it, if you're using it for spiritual work and meditative work, I think that is probably like the best thing you could do at that time. Cool. Yeah. And I think the same kind of sleep hygiene rules would apply, you know, use red light if you want to turn on a light. Um, Yeah. So, well, so let's stop there because people might not really know what to do with that. And yes, 100% in your bedroom. Um. I recommend everybody only have red lights that are turned on at night. So if you get up and go to the bathroom and you flip on the bathroom light in the middle of the night, the the latest studies are showing that 15 seconds of light exposure at night to a normal light bulb destroys your melatonin for four hours. So just flicking on a light or having a nightlight on. So having a nightlight on in women's rooms, there is a study in women's bedroom, women that had nightlights on all night, had significantly more weight gain than women that had no light on. But red light does not destroy melatonin, nor does it uh, become associated with weight gain, nor does it keep you awake if you wanna go back to sleep. So having a red flashlight, or there's these lights called Huga lights, you can get them on Amazon. Um, They take out all the blue frequency of light. I actually take a piece of red uh, brake light tape and tape it over my hookah light just to ensure there's no blue light coming out and that's all red. But having a little reading light 
to read by at night or when you wake up that's red or to carry with you into the bathroom. Now, I'm kind of weird, so my bathroom lights are red. Um, so are my bedroom lights and so are my living room lights. Uh, but for, for other people, just having a little red reading light, it costs, you know, $12.00. That's the thing you turn on at night. That's what you read by. That's what you journal by. That makes a huge difference of you falling back asleep after you wake up at night and not destroying your health. Yep. Yep. Perfect. Yeah. I'm glad you got into that. I actually have those Huga lights. I have the non-flickering, uh, uh, kind of the really warm colored LEDs. So uh, I, I use those to travel because even though I like incandescence better, I feel like when you have those nice non-flickering LEDs, you don't worry about breaking them and having shattered glass in your luggage. <laughs> so <laughs> exactly. Um, the one error that I think I made, and maybe you have some input on this, is <clears throat> I tried to stay awake with red light only, and I find my, I found myself getting really wound up and almost stressed out. Um, I think that's because I was fighting my sleep hormones and my desire to sleep, um, but I thought it was healthy to only have red light at night, and I kind of pushed it too far trying to do work in that red light. So maybe I would advise against doing that, like maybe have a... Uh, uh, a color with maybe a little bit more of the natural, maybe sim more similar to like daylight uh, spectrum, like a warm incandescent as opposed to completely red light if you plan on staying up and doing work. What do you think about that? I, I think it depends on the individual. So if you've got an incandescent or a halogen light that more mimics daylight, I would still wear blue light blocking glasses. Okay. Um, and because it will shift your circadian rhythm and it will destroy melatonin, those lights. Now, I am able to do work with the red light. I've been using them for about three years exclusively at night. And I personally don't have a problem, but I do get more tired. And my so my personal opinion is if you want to stay up and you want to be fully cognitively functional, probably you're going to use an incandescent type light. And, mm -hmm. and likely you might destroy some of your melatonin for, for that day. So hopefully that's not a common practice that you're constantly doing that because then you're just kind of um, destroying your melatonin every night. That's that's not going to be good for you long term. Mm -hmm. Once in a while, if you need to stay up and you need to be focused, for sure. For me, I use the red light, but I don't work long into the night because I do get tired. And my personal opinion is like I could stay up longer and work more hours and get more done and be a more successful entrepreneur but that would be detrimental to my health. So I do allow myself in the winter to sleep more. My, my whole uh, concept that I've been building over the last couple of years is that in the summer, the light, the light levels stay out longer during the day and we don't need to sleep as much. I don't think humans need eight hours of sleep all the time. I think in the summer we might need three to five, you know, personally. And in the winter, we might need eight to 12 hours every night of sleep. So I do give up performance and busyness in the winter for more sleep. And I use my time more wisely in the summer to do more of the work and to stress myself a little more in the summer and get less sleep to get that stuff done. That's just how I function because I don't want to give up the nighttime hour sleep that I think is so important. And I do think there's a biological consequence to trying to get eight hours of sleep all the time. I think get less sleep in the summer and then reverse that damage in the winter by sleeping more. Yes, you're going to get less done. Not everybody can do that, but that's how I do it. Okay. 
Cool. So that kind of inspires a few more questions. Uh, how are you doing on time? I'm good. I can go for longer. Okay. Uh, I just want to pause before we get to those. I just want to remind people that they're listening to the Primitive Initiative podcast. And I have Thaddeus Owen with me uh, from Primal Hacker. Um, and can you give me your uh, website again where people can find your blogs? Primalhacker.com. Awesome. And what, what else do you offer just to get into that a little bit? We have a number of articles on our blog, obviously, that are completely free, talking about how to buy a red light, benefits of red light, benefits of sunlight, cold therapy, grounding, uh, electromagnetic frequencies, how to protect yourself, what the frequencies are, why to protect yourself. And then we do the same thing on social media. We teach people some of these concepts on Instagram. So that's at Primal Hacker with an underscore. Somebody actually went out and took all the Primal Hacker names on Instagram uh, and doesn't do anything with them and they won't give them to me. So uh, it's Primal Hacker underscore on Instagram. And we also have a store. So we, what I originally intended to do with my store is find products that were not available on the marketplace that I wanted and couldn't find and sourced myself and sell them to others. So things like Faraday cage cell phone pouches. I was the first person to be selling those on the internet in the US uh, to put your cell phone in a little Faraday cage and mm -hmm. stop. you can stop your GPS chip from tracking you in stores if you don't want you know, ads pushed to you for visiting certain stores, et cetera. So we have those, we have blue light blocking glasses that are more affordable than most of the ones that used to be on the market um, that look really good. And we have some other technologies. Basically, all the things we put on help you with light, proper light mitigation, proper light environment, and electromagnetic environment. Sometimes I would stalk the retreats that you guys had going. Do you guys still do that? It remains to be seen in this crazy time. So the, the Minnesota, we do a lot of our retreats in Minnesota, and the health requirements for get-togethers in Minnesota are, are a little crazy right now, and retreat centers are a little hesitant um, to allow big retreats at the moment. So we run, and we have run this year retreats. We do one every year on summer solstice. So it's like the ultimate biohacking retreat. We go out into the Boundary Waters canoe area of Minnesota. We portage and canoe and, and sleep in tents on islands. We pump our water directly from the environment. We kind of practice all the biohacking techniques like in a primitive way, how they're nice. intended to be practiced. We do that every year. We still intend on doing that. We did run it this year. Uh, Boundary Waters was actually closed until the week before we had our retreat. So we were kind of a little nervous, but we were able to run that retreat this year. It's always phenomenal. It's a really small group. The biggest group in the Boundary Waters is nine people, including the guides, which uh, this year was us. And we run a retreat typically uh, in Pequot Lakes, Minnesota, at a beautiful retreat center where we've got red light and biohacked food and we teach people to cold adapt. We teach them biohacking principles. They can try out biohacking gear and technology. Last year we had 50 people, which was over capacity. We have capacity for 35. So we had to rent offsite uh, homes and bedrooms for people to stay in. But those retreats have been massively successful. They're a ton of fun. And this year we actually had uh, a very special famous guest coming and now they're not going to come. Uh, they're not comfortable coming. They're an older guest, but they're, they're a famous explorer and they were going to come and do some really cool stuff this year. Uh, so we're starting to get some guests that are interested in our retreat from completely outside of primal and biohacking realms. 
and super exciting. As of now, we're still planning on running our February retreat uh, called Fire and Ice, where we teach people to cold adapt. We teach them about red light. We get them to jump in a frozen lake. And honestly, we've had people from Australia and New Zealand and Argentina come and jump in a frozen lake in Minnesota <laughs> at zero degrees. So it's uh, it's something we can teach you how to do safely and effectively and teach you how to not to be so cold during the winter by proper cold adaptation. Nice. Cool. Yeah, I, I think it's just ridiculous that they won't allow the group gatherings for things that teach people how to be healthy. Uh, it's it's amazing how they're trading like the perception of safety for actual for people that teach actual safety and being proactive about protecting your health. It's absolutely crazy right now and it's unfortunate and I hope I hope we see some sanity but I'm not I'm not terribly optimistic based on you know so I'm very involved at the local political level not that I enjoy politics but there are so many issues being passed at the local level right now that everybody needs to be involved in I don't care what side you're on or what things you feel or believe in but there's lots of debate and the more the more we can all I think everyone has the same end goal in mind at the local level, which is we all want to be safe and healthy. We all want freedoms that we have always had, and we want to do it in the right way. We all want the same end goal. I think we all just need to come together and talk about what's the right way to do it. And I've been very active locally to try to help, you know, county and city figure out what it is we do locally to to keep people healthy in a intelligent manner, looking at the right types of science, bringing in science that's being ignored in the mainstream uh, that that I think really needs to be looked at. And so I, I encourage you know everyone to to get involved locally, to have calm and confident, competent discussions and look at both sides of the stories and try to come together to where we all get what we want out of this, which you know everybody wants to keep our freedoms and, and to be safe and healthy. So there's a way to do that and we need to do it by coming together and not creating more division. Yeah, totally. I, I live a little further away from you as we talked about, but if there's anything I can do to help, please let me know. Or if you have any advice for me to help in my own local area, let me know because I don't have too many people besides when I do interviews and talk to people over social media that are like-minded besides my wife. Um, so I'm always willing to have more of a community to help change things for the better. If, if anyone wants to look at more things, um, Dr. Jack Cruz, he's a medical doctor, a neurosurgeon. His Facebook page, Dr. Jack Cruz, has tons of studies on lots of stuff that's going on now from the medical literature. Um, and Dr. Arthur Furstenberg, he's the author of a book called The Invisible Rainbow. He's a medical mm -hmm. doctor. Uh, he has a newsletter. And in his newsletter, he talks a ton about EMF and 5G. But he had a lot of stuff on what's going on right now, again, from the medical literature. And I think these studies from the medical literature that both Arthur Furstenberg and Dr. Jack Cruz are sharing are not making it to the mainstream or to the local political level. And I think we need to look at all, you know, all the literature to make final decisions. And those have been extremely helpful when I've talked to local politicians. Cool. That's that's good to know. Um, I'm glad that Jack kind of changed his mind. He seemed to be kind of on the fear train in the beginning of all of this. Um, I saw that, too. I thought when I saw that, I at first, you know, I, so I've met Jack Cruz in person. I've spent time at his his retreats in Mexico and and had mm -hmm. meals with him. And 
I was very surprised on his take on what was happening, but I think he was really trying to push an agenda at first. His agenda is 5G is going to kill everybody. And, you know, he was, he was pushing some stuff around that and around 5G can create super bugs. And thankfully he did what I encourage everyone to do to, to look into everything on your own and not take the, the mainstream media's word in China. Everybody knows not to watch the news because it's government propaganda. The U.S. hasn't quite learned that yet. Um, yeah. But if you do your research, you will find tons of information about how government uh, has taken over mainstream media from the CIA to others. And, and that there isn't just investigative journalism today as, as there used to be. Um, mainstream media takes their cues from what they're told to say and they say it. They don't say, hey, we went out and investigated X, Y, Z and here's what we found. There's not a lot of that. So you have to do that on your own. And in some cases, the mainstream media is correct. In some cases, it's not. But I encourage everyone to do their own research. And that's what Jack did. He he ended up going out and doing more research and then admitting he was wrong and changing his opinion on what he was saying, which I think was great. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm, I'm glad he did that. He was getting uh, uh, he was getting lit up a little bit <laughs> early on. <laughs> um, I saw your uh, some of your posts early on also about David Icke, and then I found it kind of ironic that right after that I think uh oh his his what's his name Rose from um Brian from Rose from London Real yes yes yeah he had him on and then that video just blew up got censored everywhere and I was like oh man and I know people have their own opinions about David Icke but I think a lot of what he was saying is very accurate and you can see it playing out right in front of your eyes he he has some a little over the top things to say in some areas. So people will tend to discount him and point to those things. So mm. for, for instance, like, you know, invisible reptilians running, right. running the show. So the thing is though, when you look at his body of work, which he's been doing for decades, yep. he's, he's his work. If you read it on its own in the books that he's written or the videos he's put out is spot on. And he does some very in-depth research. So I have a number of his books and the latest book, it's called the answer. And it kind of talks about, okay, there's all this stuff going on. There's a lot of fear. Ultimately, what is the answer? And in, in, in my mind, he is 100% spot on. Like we are these fields of, of frequency, of light, of information. But ultimately, what most people come to the conclusion of, whether you're Christian or Buddhist or anything, that we're a spiritual being and we animate these bodies for a short time. And we need to come out of being fearful and look at life as an experience and protecting our, our spirit, upgrading our spirit, working on our spiritual selves, whatever that means to you is very important, especially in this time, rather than fighting and, and creating division between everybody, work on your spirit, work on getting more in tune with that. And that's really his message in the answer is you are this infinite creation that is in this body for a short time and stop focusing and chasing all these things, focus on that concept and upgrade yourself and you will dissolve the fear that's all around us right now because everybody, I guarantee you, is going to die. And yeah. fearing that causes a lot of problems. And obviously we, nobody wants to die before their time, but, um, realizing who you are and how much power you personally have as a spiritual being is absolutely critical. And that is really his main message. I love that. That's so important. I, in this time of like 
materialism and the technocracy taking over. Uh, I think anything that can tie you into a less materialistic, dogmatic, uh, machine-oriented view of life is uh, very needed. Uh, I have my own opinions on spirituality and religion and stuff like that, but I think that if it gets you to be more loving, um, accepting of others, and seeing through this, you know, kind of horrific, <laughs> technocratic uh, power structure, uh, let's do it, you know? <laughs> so. it, yeah, I mean, there, we could go on for hours, and I, I would send people to, you know, London Real is very unbiased, and I, and I, I think it's so amazing how Brian Rose, who's the host of London Real, he, mm. he's done a ton of biohacking stuff. He's got all these great guests for years. When he first had David Icke on, he flat out came and said, I don't agree with what you say. I am 100% taking my vaccine when it comes out. I can't, <laughs> I can't wait for it. Nothing you say will change my mind. But you have the right to say what you want to say. That's freedom of speech, and I will defend it. And by the end of that interview, the next time Brian Rose had David Icke on, he said, I am never taking a vaccine. You know, it's just <laughs> he he opened his mind so much by having Brian Rose, um, by having David Icke and having some other medical doctors on that, you know, he allowed them to have freedom of speech. And literally by allowing that freedom uh, to hear what other people had to say, he changed his opinion and he then wanted other people to hear this. And that's the thing, like everybody has their right to be heard. And what's happening right now is massive censorship on a level that I have never seen. I've been censored personally on social media platforms. Literally in a podcast that I did in April, we were live giving this podcast. We were just talking just like you and I are. And Facebook censored us and said that we were illegally playing a certain music by a certain artist. We were playing no music. We were just talking. But that's what they told everyone that we were being censored for because they didn't want people to hear what we said. You don't have to agree with what we say. I don't have to agree with what you say, but we all have the right to say things. And in today's climate, it is very, very strange to me how much censorship is happening. Yep. Yeah, that censorship is just absolutely ridiculous because how about if you decide to change your mind later on? How about if you don't agree with the things that you perpetuated for so long and now you're ready to accept the other side, but it's not even an option anymore? <laughs> how horrible. You won't be able to find those arguments that you might have heard before and that you want to research more because they're now taken away. And I just every day I am very amazed at how much things are being censored. And this isn't just coming from one political group or another group. You know, some people want to put blame on certain groups for the censorship, but there is a really good podcast uh, that Dr. Mercola did with mm -hmm. Charles Epstein, um, not related to Jeffrey Epstein, so, <laughs> uh, but Charles Epstein is a, as a professor. He was trained at Harvard as a psychologist. He works for a university. I can't remember which one, but he did. He's a he's a liberal. He voted for Hillary Clinton and he did all this research on Google, just on Google. And mm -hmm. at the end of his research, he came to the conclusion that Google was swaying votes and was tailoring search results to favor Hillary Clinton during the last election. And he had to go in front of Congress and testify how insidious the suppression and the manipulation was that Google was doing for 
the Democratic Party, and he's a Democrat, and he's like, I felt so uncomfortable, but I had to do this. I had to speak up. I testified before Congress. The the amount that they are swinging votes of undecided people and suppressing things to change elections is incredible. And he's still a liberal. However, he needs to bring to light what's going on with Google and how manipulative they are, yet every search engine, no matter what search engine you use, the background of that search engine is Google. Yeah. Siri pays Google $4 billion a year to run Siri. So they run everything. So his work is being suppressed because he's just trying to say like, hey, I don't care what party you're on. You need to look at what these tools are doing to what you're able to see and what you're being told. And even that is being suppressed. But you can find that interview and he tells you kind of how to get away from it, um, how to stop some of that censorship by using other tools that don't redirect your search results. Um, so you get actual unbiased search results that you can then make your own opinion on. But Google is absolutely tailoring people's opinions by sh only showing you search results that they want you to see. Yep, absolutely. I, I'm so glad you covered that because that, okay, so we can get into biohacking and, you know, making sure that you're not getting all these threats by physical things in your environment, but the tech is after you. <laughs> like, they are tracking everything you're doing even when you're not using their apps. They track the, your eye movements, the way that you type, the way that you speak. I mean, everything's being fed, fed into this huge AI database. So the further you can get from these uh, massive companies that are all working together, as you alluded, um, is, is great. Uh, there, if you go on <laughs> a search engine, I don't want to say Google, but in some way, share, perform, uh, search like how to become untraceable. There's some good things out there that you can follow from people who are advocates of this type of a movement. Uh, they even have shirts and stuff that say go incognito. So just basically erase your uh, track record of what you leave behind through your searches. You'd be surprised how much information people are giving out without even knowing it. So please refer to that video that Thaddeus just talked about. Right. And and some people, you know, they may think, well, I have nothing to hide. I'm not doing anything wrong. And personally, I'm not either. But what's happening is they're building an AI profile of you so that in the very near future, they will be able to predict the things you're interested in, the things you're going to do, the things you're going to buy, and they can manipulate you that way. That is the plan. And that is clearly talked about in uh, the infrastructure that's built for Google and Facebook and others. So even if you're not doing anything wrong, they are now able to manipulate your mind and your psychology through their technology. And so that alone is something I want to avoid. Yep. And the perception of wrong and right is constantly being changed and altered and people are being held accountable for things they said a decade ago. So who knows that if in a decade what you said a decade ago is acceptable and that can be leveraged on you if you decide to take up some power position in local politics or if you decide your child is vaccine injured and you want to be an advocate for that and speak up now. Uh, but then people are trying to use these things that they mined from you 10 years ago to try to discredit you. Yes. I mean, it's it's an incredible new world. And I think most people are unaware of how much information. So that interview talks about how many pieces of data Google alone has on each individual. And it is massive. It's way beyond what you think, what they're tracking. So it's very important for everyone to just like 
take an hour, listen to that interview and just get a little bit of information on what is being collected and how it's being used. It is, it will blow your mind. I, I guarantee it. Cool. Awesome. And um, I don't know if you know about Graphene OS, but it's one of those operating systems that's um, kind of more so tailored for those people who value privacy. And you got to do your research on all of these, of course, um, just to make sure that they're legitimate. Um, but they can take the place um, because Android is supposed to actually be, uh, I forget the name for it, but basically any programmer can help. It's a community-based thing. And Google has basically hijacked all of Android. So Graphene OS is kind of headed in the direction of taking it back to the people and having it be open source. That's the word that I'm looking for. Um, so that's something that I might recommend looking into or something similar. You don't have to go with these large Apple or, you know, uh, Google phones. You, you can actually find open source, more privatized and much more customizable privacy settings on some of these smaller brands that are upcoming. And if you're if you're curious why anybody would go to those links, please listen to that interview. It's only an hour. Charles Epstein and Dr. Mercola, and it will open your eyes. Now, the other thing that I would encourage everyone to do is is type into their whatever search engine they want, Hendrickus Loose, L-O-O-S. And uh, he has a number. He I think he's a fictional person. I don't think it's a real name, but um, there's a number of public patents. Now, these are the only ones that are public. I'm sure there's stuff that's been invented that's private. But these are mind control patents. They're patented. They exist. Google purchased them. And they are ways to manipulate human mind, human psychology, human emotions through screens and technology, like your cell phone. And they're they're in the public sphere. You can find them. You can look them up. And uh, that's a little scary to me. So, you know, one of the things when I go to bed is I put my cell phone up, not only on airplane mode, because they'll pop your cell phone out of airplane mode. I can mm-hmm. test that with my meters to see it's coming out because they want that data that they're collecting on you. Even if you're in airplane mode, I put it in a Faraday cage so that my hope is those frequencies that could be embedded in the software on my phone aren't affecting me when I sleep. Yep. Perfect. That's that's great advice. Um, if people think that we're being paranoid or anything or like, oh, you're into alternative health and you're into all this biohacking stuff. If you look for security online and you go to those people who are experts at it, uh, none of them spoke about health that I've seen. None of them have talked about biohacking or any of this alternative stuff. They are just computer geeks for lack of a better word, but they value privacy. And this is this is it to them. Like this is the whole thing, this privacy. They're advocates of this. So we're not the only people, not just the alternative health people or that we're conspiratorial. This is actual stuff that people value in the tech realm. You know, people are, I think, so used to seeing people using their phones, just everyday life of people, you know, and they're not caring about what apps they download or what information they give out or what links they press. But if you really get into the tech world, or if you ever look at people who work for companies, they are mind-blowingly complex when it comes to how much they value privacy. It's, yeah, it's way beyond anything I can even keep up with because I've got a friend who's into to corporate. He was sort of the largest of the large corporations for IT security. So he analyzes threats to their, you know, their websites and their infrastructure. Every single person that works on his team, including him, None of them have a Facebook account. None of them have an Instagram account. Yep. Every one of them has a separate USB driver that they plug into their computer to run a separate OS, a separate operating <laughs> system when they log into their bank account. I mean, it. 
I, I can't even keep up with the stuff that they do, but they just look at me like I'm crazy for doing any of this stuff because all day long they analyze threat and they see how this data is being used. We don't see how it's being used. They see it every day. Yep. Perfect. Great. I'm glad we covered that. Uh, that's something that I wanted to do a podcast on all by itself, but I think this is an amazing intro. Um, so just to plug out of that reality for a second, I, I want to kind of talk to you about something that applies to both of us and well, a lot of the population in the United States and around the world, and that is what can people do um, who live in colder climates further away from the equator for things like vitamin D or getting the benefit of sunlight during the winter? So if you look at all the medical literature, this is why most doctors are testing for vitamin D and everyone's taking a vitamin D supplement and it's embedded everywhere now. You see vitamin D added here. Uh, vitamin D status in your body, the amount of, of vitamin D you can measure, the more you have, the less disease you have from breast cancer to skin cancer to uh, sickness from viruses, all of this stuff. So obviously with the world situation right now, regardless of what you believe, uh, vitamin D status protects you from, you know, what people call viruses. Now there's some debate on whether viruses are what we used to think they are or not, but vitamin D is not under debate. What is under debate is whether taking a vitamin D pill has any benefit. So most people think if I live in a Northern climate, I can't get vitamin D. And that's because you get vitamin D naturally from the sun. And you, you literally, if you're, if you're naked in the sun, in the winter, in our climate here in the North, you can't make any vitamin D in, in your skin. It's not possible. It's possible on the equator, but not up here. You can only make it where we live in Minnesota. You're a little further North, but where we are kind of, you know, Western Wisconsin, central Minnesota, you can make vitamin D from April 15th till about September 20th. After that, your body cannot manufacture vitamin D from the sun. That means your vitamin D status, it's a fat-soluble vitamin. It sits in your fat, and it, it gets used in the body when it's needed. We store all this vitamin C from the sun during the summer. Hopefully, you're outside storing vitamin D because naturally made vitamin D is not the same as the pill. Then in the winter, you start using it up, and eventually you, you get to a low level of vitamin D, and you start getting susceptible to different diseases and sicknesses. So you, most people in a northern climate are going to take a vitamin D supplement. What we're finding is that chemical supplement doesn't have the same power as sunlight. It doesn't do the same things in the body. So when you get your vitamin D naturally from the sun, it has a much bigger benefit. So number one, if you're in a northern climate, let me just say that a vitamin D pill, most of them provide 400 IUs, international units of vitamin D. That's not much. In fact, it's not even enough. And every doctor probably agrees you need about 10 times that amount daily. So if you're taking a pill and getting 400 IUs, that's not very much. If you get outside in the summer in the sun without your shirt on, with a pair of shorts on or a bikini if you're a woman, you're, you can absorb up to 10 to 20,000 IUs of vitamin D every few minutes, which means you can, you can capture in your cells and your fat up to like almost 100,000 IUs of vitamin D in one day where your 400 I use in your pill isn't going to get you very far. So I encourage everyone to absorb as much vitamin D from the sun and store it during the summer. So you have a lot of it to work with in the winter. Then I recommend in the winter, not taking a vitamin D supplement because 
Honestly, I don't think they work well and they could be dangerous. If you read some of the research by Dr. Mercola and some of the latest medical research, they're finding negative effects from taking the vitamin D pill. So what do you do? I recommend three things. One, you could take a trip if you have the money and the means further south where you can create vitamin D twice in the winter for about two or three days each time and soak up sunlight to create more vitamin D. That has a massive benefit. It's proven. I've done it. I, that's my favorite way to do it. It's not available to everybody. There's some early research that's showing that in a northern climate, if you expose your skin to the sunlight and the cold, that the cold plus the sunlight might create vitamin D within your body. So take off your shirt uh, in the winter, spend about five minutes outdoors in the sun, you might be able to create some vitamin D in your blood vessels. That's not 100% proven, but there's some early research to indicate that might be possible, but only if you're exposing enough skin during the winter when it's cold. The other way to do it would be to use a tanning bed that uses UVB lamps. UVB is the only uh, wavelength of sunlight or light that, that creates vitamin D in the skin. You have to be very careful with tanning lights, with artificial UV lights, because they can be very damaging. They can cause cancer. They can cause a sunburn using a tanning light. So I personally will use a tanning light, uh, one that has UVB bulbs in it. And I'm very careful to use it for like one minute a day for the first week and then four minutes a day. And then I'll use it up to eight minutes a day when I've used it and gotten my body used to it during the winter. But that's my strategy in a northern climate is to, if I can take a trip to Florida for a little bit and use a tanning lamp in between. Cool. Yeah. I, I have a couple questions inspired by that. So do, do you know by which mechanism that cold mixed with um, exposing your body to winter sun would achieve vitamin D by, would it be, because isn't the UVB so low? How, how is that possible? It's not by UVB. So the, the, the claim, and this is a Dr. Jack Cruz claim. So he oh, claims <laughs> based on the research deuterium in the body. So deuterium is a, just a version of hydrogen. Everyone has hydrogen. Everyone has deuterium in their body that when deuterium is squeezed and, and this is true, when you squeeze deuterium, it produces a laser. That's how lasers are produced. You like put compression or you, you put pressure on a substance, produces a laser. That when you produce a laser from deuterium in the body, it produces vitamin, well, it produces UV light, ultraviolet light laser. That ultraviolet light is picked up by receptors. There are receptors in your blood vessels for vitamin D, for UVB light. Why would they be in your blood vessels if UVB light never gets in there? Well, it, the theory is it gets in there from squeezing deuterium and making a laser. Then, therefore, you're creating a version of light, a UV laser that creates vitamin D in the body. The way that you squeeze the deuterium is by ultraviolet light from the sun. So in this case, UVA and mm -hmm. blue light. So the UVA and blue light gives a, a compression to the skin and the blood vessels from that sunlight and paired with the cold, which your body uses as an ancient pathway, an ancient primal pathway, this cold that most people never experience. Cold and that compression creates this laser that then the body makes vitamin D from. That's the claim. If, if that's accurate, there's not enough research to show it, but if that's accurate, you can produce vitamin D in the winter that way. 
Would that be piezoelectricity or? Piezo is, is um, like is create, it, it is more like a, a circuit, a microelectronic flow of electrons from compression. And we say that the bone is piezoelectric, that when you compress it or you put a signal, an electric or a magnetic signal on it, it causes something. I don't think that's the, the way that this works. Okay. I think it's like a physical compression of the deuterium to create that laser. And then that laser is picked up by vitamin D receptors, VD, VDRs um, in the in the vessels. Okay, cool. Uh, th that's really interesting. I got to look into that because uh, I've already looked into deuterium a lot and I can't say that I have it all figured out or I don't know if anyone really understands it completely. Um, <laughs> but, um, that's interesting. I've never heard that aspect of deuterium before. That's, that's pretty cool. I, I try to eat in season foods. Um, and I think maybe depending on which life stage you're in or what disease state you're in, it might matter more or less. Um, Correct. do you, do you have any further thoughts on it? I've studied a bunch on deuterium at, at the end of the day. We need deuterium in our body. It provides a critical role and younger people need more of it because it stimulates growth. Older people want less of it because we don't want the growth in our age as we're older because that means cancer. So deuterium is natural. It's all around us. Uh, but by eating certain ways or exposing ourselves to certain frequencies, we create more deuterium than we want in our body. And lowering that deuterium then provides health. We've, we've shown through studies, we, the world, um, has done a lot of studies showing that drinking water that's depleted in deuterium, therefore depleting the body's deuterium, lowering the deuterium level in your body, can benefit those people that have cancer. In some cases, can can I don't want to say cure, but the studies have shown that it can reverse that. Um, so some people with certain disease states are going to be way more interested than your general public. There's there's still a lot of debate. It's still new science, um, but essentially, you know having lower deuterium in your body as you age appears to be associated with longer life and better health outcomes. I think one of the main mechanisms that it's benefiting the body by, not to say that we know everything, but is probably just increase better mitochondrial function, right? So better metabolism, essentially, uh, or correcting one that's maybe destroyed by life habits. Yeah. I mean, like, so so deuterium in the wrong place is bad. Deuterium in your mitochondria slows it down. Anytime you slow down energy, bad things happen, mm -hmm. energy production. So deuterium in your blood, great. You, the, the level of deuterium in your blood is exponentially higher than the level of magnesium. So if you think magnesium is important or you know all sorts of other vitamin molecules, those are all important, but deuterium in your blood. And it's supposed to be there. But again, when you put it in the wrong place, when you put it in the cellular water or you put it in the mitochondria, then you can get problems. Okay, I see. Maybe people in those circumstances, if like deuterium depleted water or something is too expensive, they might consider something like methylene blue. I, I don't know how you feel about methylene blue, but it can be acquired for cheap and even administered uh, uh, on your skin if you don't feel comfortable ingesting it. And that shows, in my research, some good efficacy for restoring cellular metabolism or uh, my, proper mitochondrial function. I would always tell people the first thing to do is is get outside in the sun sunlight 
sure. barefoot grounded on the earth because that generates deuterium depleted water in your cells and starts to correct mitochondria uh, nice. to produce energy optimally. So always do those things first. They're free. Um, then there are supplements and there are other ways of reducing deuterium or optimizing your mitochondrial function for sure. And I'm a fan of methylene blue. I don't use it a ton, um, but for mitochondrial health, it's definitely a rock star that people talk about. And there's studies that are showing that. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. That's good advice to really get down the basics and the foundation and then start experimenting with things that can sometimes forcefully push your biology in one direction. Um, let's see, I had a few more here. Um, okay, so have you looked into Wilhelm Reich at all uh, with orgone energy, orgone accumulators, which then kind of feeds into geopathic stress and stuff like that? So yes, uh, there's tons of energy all around us. What we know of energy, we call the electromagnetic spectrum. And it's a spectrum we can measure. It goes from like x-rays to radio waves, just based on the wavelength, the length of different energy types. We say that's all the energy in the universe, uh, but that's just all the energy we can measure. That's probably like one-tenth of one percent of the energy in the universe. There's tons of energy beyond that that we just haven't created instruments to measure because it's invisible. Organ energy is this like, what it's said to be is a, a cosmic energy. Uh, it's a force, it's out there and you can collect it. And when you collect it in a quantity, that being around or in that energy provides massive benefit to humans, animals, and plants. And way back in the early 1900s, late 1800s, they were creating these ways to capture what they called organ or orgone energy, pyramids. So pyramid structures have these unique benefits and things that happen when things are under a pyramid. They're claiming that that's a, a accumulation or an accumulator of organ energy. There's these things that you'll see on the market all over the place nowadays, especially in kind of new agey shops mm -hmm. um, that are that are pyramids, they're plastic, they usually have crystals in them. And what they're claiming is that these pyramidical shapes of plastic with a crystal in there compress the crystal and make the frequency from the crystal more effective and accumulate organ energy, which then can mitigate negative effects from electromagnetic frequencies and can give you more health. I don't know if that's accurate or not. I've not had any legit experiences uh, that showed me that something like that was beneficial and working. We know that in general crystals, yes, they give, they take in and give off frequency. Otherwise your radio wouldn't work. It works off like a liquid or a, a crystal, you know, a quartz crystal takes in radio frequency and, and creates a sound from this ener invisible energy that's in the air, it captures that invisible radio energy and produces a radio station. So we know that crystals have that capability. Uh, whether the version they're being made in today is, is real and beneficial, I don't know. But I think the idea of this other version of frequency and energy that's out there being beneficial, 100% correct. Um, how you collect it, how it works with the body, I don't know. Okay. Um, I, I was really into this and I looked really deeply into it and he had an orgone accumulator. You were talking about the pyramids, but have you ever seen the one that Wilhelm built? It's, it's almost like a closet. Yes. Yeah, almost like a telephone booth or something. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty wild. And just recently I was on YouTube looking for something and in my suggestions, a video came up and it said, I built 
a orgone accumulator, kind of like a clickbaity title, you know? And I was like, okay, let's check this out. And somebody actually like followed the directions to make this thing. And he had people go in and sit in there. Uh, one was the actual orgone accumulator and the other one was just like your um, placebo control. It was just a box that kind of looked like it. Um, and the people who were in the box that didn't have any of this quote-unquote technology started to get really claustrophobic and irritated. Um, and then the people in the one that he made, the orgone accumulator, started to get tired and like relaxed and warmth coming over them. It was pretty wild to watch. Um, so if you can find that or if I can find it, I'll send it to you. So that's that's why I've always wanted to build one of these. However, kind of like grounding and tell me if you disagree with this, it is recommended that you build this orgone accumulator in an area without too much non-native EMF. Yeah, I mean that... So non, non-native non EMF means there's native EMF that's all around us that we're attuned to. Non-native is man-made. So, right, I mean, all these frequencies interact and cancel each other out and and build on each other and have effects that uh, synergize with each other, too. We, we don't know all that because we've not studied much of it. So I'm, I would 100% be interested in checking one of those out. I don't know that I have capacity to build one, but I would love to check one out. Yeah, there's even a feature that Wilhelm built into it that was kind of like a vacuum hose. And it delivered that recycling, accumulating orgone energy to any problem zones on the body. So people would hold it over their knee if they had knee pain and it would direct that energy. It's pretty wild. Um, and he even was making cloud busters and stuff like that to help people who would have drought <laughs> on their fields. And he would claim that he could accumulate that negative orgone or what he called deadly orgone energy and push it into the rivers um, so he would have this huge, uh, what looked like a cannon device with a metal, uh, I think, conductive wire leading into a river or something behind him, claiming that he could actually suck this negative energy out and then push it into the river and have rain come down on the fields. Wild stuff. And the way that he went out is pretty sad. They really went after him. But Yeah, there, there are uh, claims. There's books recent books from the 90s and early 2000s talking about some of those devices that the military was using for weather mm -hmm. uh, creation and weather modification. So no doubt uh, some of that was picked up and and used at the government level from DARPA and others. Where that is today, you know, what, what all my friends and family who are high-level special ops military tell me is they're 50 to 100 years more advanced than we are in the technology that they use. And some of the technology they use, we will never, ever see in our lifetime. Who knows what they're doing and what they've what they've gained and gleaned and stolen from some of these people. It's so wild. And then they'll badmouth any looking into these supposed <laughs> frauds. It's like, no, no, don't look into that. That's a complete waste of time. <laughs> um, That's amazing. Yeah, I was watching, I think... He used to be on Gaia, but David Wilcox, and he had a show called Wisdom Teachings, and he went really deep into geopathic stress um, and how it could cause cancers in people because of these like crisscrossing criss Hartman grid lines. Do you have any experience with mitigating geopathic stress zones or anything like that? Yes, it's simple, but not easy necessarily to do. But so what happens is in the earth, there's flows of lava, there's underground rivers, uh, there's 
electromagnetic frequencies. And you can measure those. People called dowsers, you know, they used to find water by using different sticks or metals. You can take copper rods and you can be your own dowser. And where the rods cross is a line where some of this underground energy crosses. And the Germans and Europeans are the studiers. They're, they've studied way more of this than we have. And they've shown that people that live on or sleep above these crossing lines tend to have more health problems, cancers and, and sooner death. So what they do is they find those crossing lines and they ensure that they sleep away from them. Sometimes those crossing lines can cross like at one spot in a bedroom and you can just move your bed and be outside of that. You have to have somebody that knows how to find them, that can douse and they can tell you where they are and tell you where to move things. If you can't move out of a crossing line, there are different technologies. They're passive technologies usually like copper coils on the floor of that room. Um, and it literally like one of those coils could be in a bedroom and it, it works for the entire upstairs. And then you check and you see if if the line, your your coils cross and you find out that, hey, they're not crossing now because this little copper coil I placed is supposedly mitigating that geopathic stress for your sleeping area. So Brian Hoyer did do an assessment at my house for EMF. He does do geopathic stress assessment. He found crossing lines in my bedroom and he provided a German made mat that goes on my floor that supposedly mitigates the geopathic stress. So I do use them. I don't know a ton about geopathic stress and all the intricacies, but I believe in that based on what Brian, I highly trust Brian and he is an expert on it. Uh, and so I do have mitigation strategies at my house for that. Cool. Great. I'm glad you recognize that. That's something that I don't see mentioned too much, at least not in the communities that I listen to. But I think it was the previous prime minister of Germany. I think his, was it his wife that after he left office, they like used a lot of money to do some studies on people who had cancers, multiple cancers, and just moving their bed. And they had some crazy decrease in either uh, or remission or one of those things. I'm sorry, I don't have the specifics, but that really made me wonder like, wow, like how big of a deal is this actually? Because that's one thing that um, when I was researching seemed to go back in kind of ancient wisdom and seemed Native Americans even knew about it. And supposedly they would run through these geopathic stress lines intentionally to gain energy from them while they were hunting. And then they would always make sure not to sleep on them. They would put their tents and teepees and stuff away from these lines. I've heard, I've heard the same thing. And that's um, sometimes when you're flying and you fly across a ton of them, um, yeah. other things happen or driving. But I, I have heard the same thing that running across them can um, increase your energy and that even people in Europe, they would first allow their sheep to graze and live uh, in an area before they built their homes. And, and then they would, they would kill, slaughter some of the sheep and figure out if where they were sleeping every night was safe uh, based on you know, cancers and other diseases the sheep might have had. And then they would decide where to place their homes before they would do such a thing. That's so crazy. It's almost like the earth's um, toxic waste disposal, kind of like we have our lymph and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty crazy. I guess, I guess there has to be a yin and a yang, right? So. Always. <laughs> okay, well, we've gone through a lot and I've had you for almost two hours and it was really fun. Thank you for joining me. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is great. I hope that people look into some of the concepts or have learned something new. There's so much out there, so much that those of us that are super interested in this study that we just want to share and just take one little piece and investigate it on your own. I always recommend people investigate on their own so that they just know a little bit more or just try it out, do an experiment, like try a pair of blue light blocking glasses at night for two weeks and see how you feel. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Like one of the few first few questions I asked you was about night shifts and you kind of gave your mitigation strategies for that. But if people understand the concepts behind these, why we do these and the further downstream effects, they could start coming up with their own mitigation strategies that then they later on can uh, give people and then give the reasoning as to why. It, once you understand the underlying mechanisms, a world of opportunities and abilities to fix these situations arise. So that's part of the reason I'm doing the podcast too. So we can think better as a collective and seek solutions. Awesome. Keep it up. <laughs> this is great. I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the Primitive Initiative podcast. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, follow, and share. If you'd like to find out ways to support us, please head on over to primitiveinitiative.com.